you know, here we got a, a couple of instructors, uh, you know, recreational instructors who are going to go make a, a, a wild, wild deep dive. You know, again, early 90s, so it was a little bit of that machismo-driven yeah. dive. Plus, I'm sure they weren't educated to the full consequences of doing these dives and, and things going wrong. Little narcosis. It's a little narcosis. I'm cool with that. Yeah, and it's almost like for a long time, it, that was almost the fun of it. Oh, yeah, to see how, well, it was a machismo how much how much can you get narked you know it's kind of like how much can you drink kind of thing uh people would you know purposely be going as deep as they could to get narked and and come back and go it was nothing uh, a little bit it was it was nothing i like it what was that one what was that line you did before <laughs> i could i could count all the way to potato <laughs> exactly <laughs> i can count all the way to potato <laughs> <laughs> The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. everybody welcome back to the great dive podcast you're here with double fatality jamesy <laughs> and you who brando you we are back at it with uh part three of the aquacore incident reports 1992 to 1996 we're gonna wrap things up today there's a ton left in this article um, uh, nearly like 20 more of these incidents. We're not going to have time to get through every single one of them, which gives all of you people an excuse to get out there and uh, look this up in uh, In-Depth Magazine. Uh, the article is titled, again, Examining Early Technical Diving Deaths, the Aquacore Incident Reports, 1992 to 1996. Yeah, we did put a link in the um, description on the, on the website. That first episode, on um, both of them, second one too. Okay. So, you know, it's funny you say the Yoo-Hoo. Whenever I think, whenever I even hear the Yoo-Hoo, it's all I remember is just people dying on it. It seemed like uh, that's it. It was just a place to go die. Well, yeah, and then like ultimately, you know, um, this is what Bernie Chowdhury wrote. You know, his big book, The Last Dive, right? Right. Was basically about. These, uh, this very incident that we're looking at right here is where we, we left off, is the double fatality on the Yoo-Hoo. So uh, on October 12th, 1992, two highly experienced cave divers, Chris Roos and Chris Roos Jr., died exploring a U-boat wreck known as the Yoo-Hoo. 
off the shore of New Jersey. Both were trained in deep diving and on air and mixed gas. This accident has had a major impact on the technical diving community. A formal report is being prepared, but AquaCore felt it important that a preliminary report be issued at this time. So this would have been right after the incident, right? Right. Was, uh, this article. Still, un- still under investigation. Right. But, you know, now in hindsight, reading Bernie Chowdhury's book, and you see their, uh, you know, how they normally conducted dives knife fights and things like that. Uh, things happen when you do that, I guess. <laughs> well, Chowdhury's book is uh, copyrighted for uh, 2000 is when that came out. Right, so it's significantly later. So a lot of, you know, and there's who knows what artistic license he took with the drama. So The Ruses were diving with double 104s filled with air for their travel and bottom mix. Each diver also carried an 80 cubic foot, 11 liter aluminum tank with 60% enriched air nitrox uh, for an intermediate decompression mix and a 72 cubic foot, 8 liter steel tank of 100% O2. So they're carrying a lot of weight on air with a lot of weight. Yeah, that's a, a... that's extremely negative. A lot negative. of negative buoyancy, yeah. yes. A, a steel 72 is a heavy bottle to be carried. That's a, that's a lot of O2. It's a lot of O2. It's great. Um, I've used the steel 72 cave diving for my O2 deco, but it's a little different because... A little bit different when you're just uh, wedged up uh, in the rocks, right. not going anywhere. It's different when you're out in and there's open a bottom. ocean. Yeah. yeah, there's a bottom at 25 to... feet, right? 20 feet, whatever. Yeah. There's a bottom or a top that you can just pin yourself into and you're just sitting there for the, you know, that whole 20 foot stop. Right. And you don't carry it with you to the bottom. It's uh it's left at your entry because that's your exit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit different than that open ocean game where there's no guarantee you're getting back to the bottle, so you have to carry everything with you. You know, when you're going in a cave, you can leave it because that's the only way back out. You have to come back past that bottle. Right, so these guys are are pretty pretty darn heavy. Double one hundred fours and an eighty tank isn't too bad, but when it's full, you know, it's a few pounds That's negative. Cu- yeah, a couple yeah. pounds negative. Yeah, no no uh, doubt about it. And then the steel seventy two is big. Yeah. Okay, so after clipping off three of the four stage bottles, probably one EAN and two oxygen bottles near the anchor line. They proceeded to their point of penetration where a tie-off was made and the fourth stage bottle of nitrox was clipped. Shortly after entering the wreck, Chris Jr. was trapped by falling debris. Loosened silt reduced the visibility to nearly zero. Chris Sr. entered or was already just inside the wreck and began to dig out Chris Jr., further reducing the visibility. After Chris Jr. was freed, the two divers were unable to follow their line out. According to statements by Chris Jr. and examination of their equipment, they evidently began exploring with line for a new exit. During their exit, it appears Chris Jr. experienced some trouble with his primary regulator and switched to his secondary regulator, but it was taking in water. At this time, 
Chris Sr. gave Chris Jr. his secondary regulator, and they continued out of the wreck. After finding the exit, Chris Jr. noted it had taken 31 minutes for them to get out, 11 minutes longer than their planned bottom time. They were able to locate only one stage bottle, Nitrox 60, and were so low on air with no more time at depth to search for the anchor line or the remaining bottles, they left for the surface. They may have attempted some decompression in midwater. So, I mean, up to, up to this point, I mean, it it's, does sound like their experience really helped them get through a really, really frightening part of this dive. Well, yeah, I, uh, you just read it and it's like, um, they are 220 feet down for, for 31 minutes at least right now. That's, uh, that's an insane deco obligation already. And they're on air. They're on air. Right, yeah. So, I mean, the the narcosis has got to be high. I mean, they're in an environment. I mean, going, penetrating into this sub, I mean, it's not like doing a penetration on, you know, one of those ships in Truck Lagoon. Right. You know, where you're inside a a huge entire cargo hold or, or engine room with all kinds of room. It's not like penetrating into, you know, a, a, a freighter here in the Great Lakes. I mean, you're in a, like a... It's tiny. A, a tiny little tube. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's, it's hard to even discern that it's a sub a lot of times. I mean, it looks... A lot of it looks part of the coral reef or it's been, you know, overtaken by growth. Uh, and who knows what... I, you know, I'm not familiar with the Yuhu, so I can't say... Is it upside down? Is it right side up? Is it listed to one side? Um, I've been in subs before. There's not a lot of room to walk, much less swim, with twins on your back and a, and a bottle. Yeah, stuff hanging. So you can see where, you know, you're talking about getting tangled up and then struggling in that environment and just blowing the visibility to, to nothing. It's it's remarkable that they were re- even able to to find their way out of the wreck, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, this is this is a a, a rough go of like realizing it took you so long to to work your way out that once you're out and you're free, you're like, uh, I've got a whole entire ascent, right? That I've got to do with decompression, you know. So and my, they're low on exit. Yeah, and my exit just began. Right, they're low on gas. If anything goes wrong with their nitrox bottle, you know, their their deco bottles, um, they're they're in a world of hurt. They can't even go to their back gas as a backup. Yeah, so I'm looking at the the U.S. Navy tables right now. So 220 feet for 41 minutes. Well... Well, the total dive was 41, but they were 30. Yeah. They arrived at the surface okay, f- 41 okay, minutes. Fine. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> fine. Okay, fine. Let's give them a little bit. Let's give them a little All right. bit. It was actually yeah. 31 minutes and 43 seconds. There you go. All right. Till the time they leave bottom. It's, let's be conservative. Yeah. 220 feet for 30 minutes is giving them 
an hour and a half, over an hour and a half of decompression. Is that deco on air or deco on O2 that's on, anywhere? It's deco on air, which okay. is what they're going to have to do because they don't have anything. They've got one 60% bottle. Right. They did locate one bottle of 60. Which, which is... they're never going to really use because uh, they made it to the surface from 220 feet in about 10 minutes. Right. So it says here they arrived at the surface 41 minutes into the dive. Chris Sr. had limited use of his arms and hands. His eyes were glassy, and he appeared calm but confused. While being assisted by surface help, he went into respiratory failure, and 20 minutes later, cardiac failure occurred. CPR was started immediately and continued to the hospital approximately three and a half hours later. He was pronounced dead on arrival at Bronx Municipal Hospital. While at the surface, Chris Roos Jr. was hit by the tossing boat and his DIN adapter was sheared off the manifold. He lost a large amount of air before surface help could close the valve. He was quite alert on the surface, yelling about the ordeal, but he was paralyzed and had no feeling from the waist down. After reaching the hospital, he was placed in the chamber on a U.S. Navy treatment table six, during which he reportedly regained some feeling in his legs, along with an increased level of pain. Early in the first air break at 1.9 Addis, 30 feet of seawater, his heart stopped and resuscitation was unsuccessful. Yikes. Yeah, what a... What a horrific ordeal right making it to the surface paralyzed and then getting clobbered by the chopping ways chopping the, the chopping boat. boat smashing your your regs your regulator yeah. right off the manifold of your tanks i mean horrific encounter yeah it's 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 like everything you kind of envision as the one of the worst diving scenarios you could ever go through. I mean, I mean this. Yeah, it sounds like this was like scripted for a movie. Yeah, it's. I don't want to say it's explosive decompression, but it's darn close. Ten minutes from two hundred twenty feet, where you were there for thirty minutes plus on air, crazy. Oh yeah, and and to be paralyzed by the time you hit the surface. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's a huge hit. Even though you did make it to the to the uh, table to the um, recompression chamber. You still didn't make it out. It just goes to show you, you know, just because you you get to the chamber doesn't guarantee you're going to live through that that decompression. Which de- definitely takes something to look at, you know, especially having the ability to uh, having the ability to read through this with the hindsight, right? Of knowing, like, okay, it's three and a half hours to the hospital. Exactly. R- right, which makes you you have to approach, you know, a dive like that. A little bit differently, you know, than you know when you're in an environment where you're doing a shore dive and you could be, you know, in a hospital in 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, you. I don't know. You look at it, and it's and I and I'm. I, I you got to hesitate to criticize anything because nobody wants to hear that. Um, of course, this was the early '90s. A lot of the procedures. It was definitely a different time. Yeah, right. Right. Every, a lot of things we know now, we didn't know back then. A lot of what we know now, we we do because of situations like this. Right. A little bit of analysis on this, and and um, I don't know. I still I still think they could have approached the dive a little differently. I mean, they in the book. If you read the book by Bernie Chowdhury. 
uh, they kind of have this reputation for being, you know, I don't know what's the word, um, seat of your pants kind of guys, you know. The planning of the dive didn't take into account something like this. It allowed for it. Now, when did you take your, um, your like, advanced nitrox, deep air, trimix classes? Your first, you know, your first ones, like, from... That would have been 90... I can't remember. 96, probably, 97. Okay. Because I took my first one. So I've taken deep air and advanced nitrox twice. And trimix. Actually... I've taken Trimix with GUE, so that's another third time. Really a fourth time because I had commercial diving. Anyway, the long story short is I took my first advanced Nitrox and Deep Air and Trimix courses in 93. And I'm just trying to recall the procedures that were taught because it hadn't changed. It hadn't changed hardly at all. Uh, it was still, you know, you got to go do deep air before you can do nitro or before you can do helium trimix. Uh, and they put this big emphasis on, uh, on managing the narcosis. Right. And there's a, the bottle choice wasn't really talked about. Your weighting wasn't really talked about, not really addressed. So going the, the emphasis was on, you know, bring a lot of gas, but not on balance, trim, propulsion, you know, not building up the CO2, that kind of thing was not even well, spoken right. about, really. Well, this is definitely uh, in the day of the, the early tech diver where, right. you know, having two wings on right. was commonplace because you needed so much lift and redundancy to the lift and inflators everywhere. And a hundred pound winger, you needed a hundred pounder. And I and I and I tell you, there's still major agencies that are still teaching the deep air before mix today. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you'd think they'd they'd start to they'd start to see the light with that, but I think it goes again to this. You've established, you've lived through so many fuck-ups. You've lived through so many bad moves that they become the new bar. Because you lived through them, you think, you know, th this is what we're t you keep talking about when we say, well, one of the worst things that can happen is you, you, you do the dive in the manner or fashion that's kind of dangerous, and you make it through it, and nothing happens. So you believe... This is how it should be done, because right, yeah, you get, um, yeah, you get a, you settle in with the, with the notion that near death is a normal occurrence <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna partake in this type of right activity, right? Right. So you, yeah, you have a near death experience. You don't die, but you say you look back at it and you try to identify the reason things went to shit, and it's always. Almost always something like I didn't bring enough gas, so I got I got to get bigger tanks or another stage bottle. 
two black groupers swam by. <laughs> so I can't swim by groupers anymore. <laughs> you see two black groupers come by the water. Just luck. get out, man. That's a that's an omen. Yeah, the black groupers crossing your path is bad luck. It's just like uh, the black cats. We broke a mirror inside of a shipwreck. Their bottom timer displayed a max depth of 223 feet for 41 minutes. Chris's air tanks had 250 PSI, and Chris Jr. had 150 PSI. The one stage bottle recovered had 1,200 PSI. The investigation into this accident is still ongoing, and a detailed report is being prepared for publication. Readers are reminded that hasty conclusions may be premature. And keep in mind, this is in uh, 1993 where Menduno was writing this. And then, obviously, if you really want to get into the, all the, the juicy details, you could pick up Bernie Chowdhury's book, The Last Dive. For a very, very detailed, you know, 300-page uh, account of it. Right, and it also talks about, I mean, it gives a little bit more history of their diving. Of, You know, they were cave divers. They, uh, you know, a father-son team, obviously, but they were heavily into diving. They loved it, obviously. So, Yeah, they, yeah they, it's not like they were, just, you know, two new guys. These guys were, uh, you know, by all accounts, very experienced divers. Right, but it just goes to show you, though, again, what are your practices? What is, what is your normal? What do you do on well, a regular yeah. basis? And, um, yeah, and I'm not trying to criticize them at all. Cause yeah, I, I definitely. Like, I, I don't want it to sound like we're, you know, ragging on them. But when you look at, um, I mean, if, if you're practicing, you know, for the people that are out there doing it today, if you're practicing deep air, to this extent, you know, th there is a, a, a bit of what you just said. Uh, you know, it's not the practice that makes you perfect. It's the perfect practice, practice that makes you perfect. So if you're practicing something that we know now from incidents like this that have shown to be wrong in so many of just these incidents right here of where deep air was a major player in what led to multiple fatalities. Yeah, that accompanied with, you know, a lack of technique, I'm sure. And, and again, we go back to that building the CO2 up and its effect on your, on your mental state as well as, you know, physical off-gassing, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, back in these days, finesse underwater was not even talked about in a, in a class. no. No, you just you know, worked that was it. something that maybe, yeah, that was something that maybe you got with, you know, 20, 30 years of experience doing it if you if you survived long enough. Whereas now so many people are going into a technical level class with trim and body mechanics and clean propulsion techniques and uh, an awareness that back in the early 90s, it was it was all just intestinal fortitude yeah you know yeah i was i'm trying to say i'm what is the difference between technical diving and recreational diving 
when you look at it from that 90s point of view, it was just the amount of equipment and pure balls, pure guts, just push through it. You can handle it better than anybody else. Right, exactly. Versus now we realize, and I hope a lot of people realize anyway, is the basis of your your skill set. That bottom layer of your pyramid is the basics, the fundamentals, if you will. The balance, the trim, the buoyancy, the proper weighting, the propulsion techniques, the equipment selection, all of it, all of it, that's your basis. And you Yeah. Right? And then technical diving is just your basis, but on steroids. To the extent it you're doing it without doing it. It it comes naturally now. Yeah, it's yeah. like you it, it's just a matter of moving from the dollar bet poker table at the casino to the ten dollar <laughs> minimum bet. There you go. <laughs> you know, you've just increased the, the the stakes, but at the at the end of the day You're still playing poker. You you need you need that base regardless of the dive that you're doing. Right. Right. And you just need it to be that much more refined. It's still well, that's the same what we always keep coming back is that is the value to the the essentials, the fundamentals, skills, classes is it's going to pay you dividends whether you you know want to do a dive in excess of 200 feet or you want to be really really clean you know cruising a reef in 50 60 feet of water does not matter it, right yeah okay. at the end of the day it's still the same fundamental base of your thinking and skill set in the water agreed all right you want to go down to mexico oh see si. see si. por favor Arriba, All right, let's arriba. go grab a couple of Coronas down in uh, Meridia, Mexico, <laughs> March of 1993. So a full cave and a nitrox instructor suffered an oxygen convulsion during a deep air dive in a sinkhole in Mexico and drowned. His partner, who experienced CNS toxicity warning signs during the dive, and a safety diver survived. The two later recovered the body hmm that's a tough one that's a tough way to go yeah o2 hit that is a tough way to go so we know that anybody who's taken a nitrox class that as we approach that 1.4 we start being uh concerned with the o2 level on the bottom and 1.6 becomes a you know a maximum for ppo2s that is something that you're aware of that you're paying attention to whether it's with your planning of gas selection prior to the dive or as simple as being a, a recreational nitrox diver looking at their flashing, beeping icon of their PPO2 on their dive computer, it's something that you have to be aware of. And for these guys, the team had planned for a 20-minute air dive in excess of 230 feet, so the depth of the saltwater halocline. Right. So what are you talking there? Uh, eight. Eight, eight atoms, yeah. So breathing a... one point six Yeah. Yeah, a bit over 1.6. Yeah. So, I mean, you're already pushing the limits right there. Not horribly, but you're definitely pushing them. But... Yeah. So, But, again, this is mid-90s. Right. You they know, so yeah. uh, pe- they were a little bit more cowboyish with that 1.6 on the bottom than they, they are today. Agreed. In a cavernous open water sinkhole near Meridia on the Yukonan Peninsula was where they were. 
Because of the difficulty in obtaining helium mixes in Mexico, the team decided to conduct the dive on air, followed by oxygen for decompression. Both were experienced deep divers. A weighted descent line was rigged for navigation and for staging oxygen and extra air cylinders. The safety diver was to descend with the team to 220 feet, ascend to a shallower depth, and wait for the dive team. After a long, slow descent past the halo climb, the team tied into the descent line to explore the well at a leisurely pace. Informed sources estimated their maximum depth to be close to 300 feet. A PPO2 in excess of two adders. So they only blew their original plan by 80 feet. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You know, uh, which is crazy, you know, because, you know, when we're training divers, you know, that want to get into deeper dives, you know, beyond that recreational zone, you know, you have that, that conversation with them of being aware of your depth. Right. You know, talking about a planned maximum depth before the dive, we go down, we do some training, and it, it doesn't matter what the depth is. You know, say say you're only doing some training in 40 feet of water, but when they're down in 60, you know, exactly. 70 feet, you know, messing with a valve and doing something because they've lost the awareness of where they are in the water column. I mean, that needs to be a serious conversation. Of listen, you have to assume. You know, you've you've picked this 40 feet. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah, the gas isn't there, but you, you're setting yourself up for the future. If you are diving a hot mix like this, mm. you have to be aware of where you're at. Oh, yeah. Well, say you're at 20 foot on your O2 bottle. There you and go. your mask gets kicked off or it just floods. And we see this in classes all the time. It's just a little mask problem. Or you say do a gas share at 20 feet. By the time they're sorted out, they're at 35. Yeah, no doubt about and, it. And you blew the two. You blew the 2.0, you know. Anyway. The surviving partner experienced a tingling in his lower lip and turned back to call the dive, only to see the diver headed back as well. When he reached the line, he sensed that the diver was in trouble. The diver grabbed the line and began a hurried hand-over-hand ascent. Never good, right? I mean, I was going to say, quick ascent, bad already. Working that deep on air, really bad. Yeah, well, well, good point. Because you're saying is working that hard is going to spike that CO2, right? Which we we know from past experiences is, is an exciter for that toxic. Exactly. Yeah. So snowball starts. You know. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And rarely is hurrying hand over hand underwater ever a good sign yeah i'm trying to think when that would be good (laughs) i don't know anyway you see a treasure box over in the distance somewhere the only time the only time i can think of hurrying hand over hand is when you see two black groupers (laughs) swim past you get out of you gotta get your ass moving or jessica alba is or jessica alba comes through that Who's in the uh, Who's in the Sweet Sixteen? Made it to the Sweet Sixteen. Yes, congrats on uh, that. Going going up against old Sean, so that's gonna be a tough one. Who's your bet, James? Who's your bet? Alba Connery. Alba Connery. Well, I know which one I would be following hand over hand in a right. rapid fashion, but uh, I think old uh, Sean Connery. I, I think he's gonna be the one that puts 
Jessica Alba Down. I believe so, too. So I was having this discussion with my wife at dinner. We were talking about the Sweet 16 matchups, and and she believes that Jessica Alba is going to take it. She's going to beat Sean Connery because she said, well, there's a lot of men in the, in scuba diving. And Elena said this, too. There's a lot of men in scuba diving, and they, they'll vote for Jessica purely on her rear end in the bikini. That's it. That's all we think. That's where our our mind is. So I kind of lost hey, my. Sh- I completely lost demean- lost my shit. <laughs> that's a little demeaning, isn't it? It is very demeaning. I think you know. I consider you and I both to be pretty progressive, pretty normal, well adjusted yeah. men of of manly manliness. You know, of, of normal man thinking, and, and both of us just picked <laughs> Sean Connery. Thank you. That was right. my point. I said, you know, ultimately, it comes down to the diving. Now, we played that little clip of Sean Connery and, uh, you know, all of the agents of Spectre or whoever that happened to be di- diving and wrestling and knife. That's what you got for Sean Connery. The only thing you got with Jessica Alba, I couldn't find really anything of her underwater other than snorkeling. And that poster is just her at the surface and she's got a set of scuba gear in her hand. That's that's all you've got for diving. So you you know, if you put them side by side, knife fight underwater with the cool old double hose regulators. That did you see that DPV in that scene? Oh yeah, it's yeah. That's a, that tiger sharks. Yeah. It's it's going to be hard to beat Sean Connery, yeah. James Bond in Thunderball, particularly. Cover of but Time Magazine, January 1965, I, I, in scuba gear. It's going to be an interesting one. I mean, I mean, all these battles in the Sweet 16 are pretty impressive, I must say. Agreed. It's a good one. It's only going to get better, too. That's the thing. By the time we get down to the Final Four, it's going to be insane. There's going to be a lot of uh, tough matchups. Well, not a lot. I mean, There's going to be two tough matchups. I mean, th- this is full of... This, I mean, all of these rounds have been great, but this one, I mean, Tom Mount taking on Brett Gilliam, like two that's, classic, yes. classics. Like, I mean, that's like the the championship match right there in many respects. You know, yeah. uh, coming at you in the in the Sweet Sixteen round, pretty cool. It's George Foreman, Muhammad Ali. It's uh, <laughs> right, right. It's hard to compare. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird. There you <laughs> like, go. Uh, in the, back in the day, yeah. Wayne Gretzky, Gordy Howe, mano a mano. Who, right, who goes who, down? Uh, the partner reached the diver, gained control, and they began to ascend together. The diver continued to pull on the line, creating slack and getting himself tangled. We heard, uh, we we remember uh, how that worked out for uh, Cousteau and. Didi yeah. in the uh in that dive at Vaucluse, remember that? Yeah. There's a deep the, air. The partner cut him free. The diver then darted, got tangled again, and apparently convulsed. By the time his partner reached him, the diver's regulator was out of his mouth. At that point, they were still deeper than two hundred and thirty feet. Yikes. So all of this fighting, all of this work, all of this struggling to get back home. And they're not uh, uh, all this work, and they're still deeper than their planned maximum depth. Yeah, that's uh, 
and they're breathing air, which is like syrup at that depth. It's, uh, I don't know. I, you, you just read it. And of course, this is hindsight, and I look at it, and, and this, is, this is basically the impetus for the classes we teach, or, you know, this is it. This is, this is why you do what you do. After repeated attempts to force the regulator back into the diver's mouth with no success, the surviving partner realized the diver was gone and, leaving the body entangled in the line, ascended to complete his decompression. Following decompression, the partner and safety diver were able to pull the line and recover the body. Horrible, man. Uh, just what a, what a terrible way to go out. Yeah, you read it, and you, it's easy to put yourself in the mind of the diver that died in the sense of you, he knew he was feeling the, the onset of CNS O2 tox hit, and he wanted to get out of there. Obviously, the first thing you should do is stop, relax, breathe, but look at your depth gauge. How do you lower those PPO2s? The first thing you're going to do is try to ascend up to a safe, if, if it's at all possible. I'm trying to, I'm looking at this. Did he have the ability? Was he in a place where he could ascend up shallower than 200 feet? You know, get those PPO2s down immediately. But uh, it seems as if the priority was, you know, was get the, the fuck out! <laughs> exactly. But get it to the, is get the priority, the yeah. Like, that's yeah. uh, right. It's, you know, and, and when your brain has gone to that level, Ooh. And you're that deep, and the PPO2s are that high, the, the carbon dioxide uh, partial pressure is that high. It's, it's hard to get control of your brain to calm yourself down. Well, yeah, it's a vicious cycle that, that PPCO2, or the PP, yeah, the PCO2 continues to rise, giving you the urge to breathe even more. But your breathing is, is in, gets more and more inefficient. So the CO2 is not being exhausted or exhaled. You're just increasing your CO2 levels in your blood, which further increases the urge to breathe, which builds more CO2 up. Yeah, that's the beginning of a bad cycle. You know, interestingly enough, like I'm, I hearken back to Sheck Exley's book, yeah. Caverns Measureless to Man. Like, and, and we had talked about this before in... Um, you know, reading through this book when he talks about those bottomless holes. Right. But I'm, rem I'm reminded of, like, a moment that he talks about of being um, on, his, on his swim back to the rock in 200 feet of water, mindfully of my rapidly diminishing air supply and the greatly lengthening decompression stop required for every minute I spent at this depth, I had a strong tendency to speed up at this point. I forced myself to slow down, however, to avoid the exertion-enhanced narcosis that had caused three other divers to black out and drown in this same passage. Well, there you go, from the man himself. And what year was that? This was like 69-ish, I think. So that was, that's well, well in advance of this, the 90s, obviously, and people still haven't really caught on like hey co2 is co2 is uh is satan co2 is the bad guy 
Yeah, the toughest cave dive in Florida in the 1960s was Eagle's Nest, also known as Lost Sink. He says, uh, early on May 11th, 1969, after fighting my way two miles deep, uh, I pulled up alone to the nest. Yeah, so yeah, late 60s, you know, he was diving to those depths and knew the impact of working, struggling, fighting, and being on, on air that deep was right. a bad combination. Moving rapidly, moving fast underwater. You know, it doesn't work. It just, uh, you have to take it nice and easy and slow. Even if you're having incidents, <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, you want to go back to the ocean, Papano Beach? Sure. Let's, uh, let's do one more, right? Papano Beach sounds like a good one. An experienced 47-year-old spear fisherman apparently switched to his oxygen regulator by mistake while chasing down a grouper at about 68 meters, 220 feet during a deep air dive. A black grouper. You should have known. <laughs> They're going to get you every time. You sound like a grouper racist. I just want you, you to see know the that. O- you see the omen of the black grouper swim by. You don't cross its path. Swim the other way. Just quietly nod your head, give it the res- respect it, it deserves, and swim the other way. End your dive. You're done. Uh, deep air dive. Convulsed and drowned. He was found on the railing of the R.B. Johnson with his regulator out of his mouth by his partner, who was reportedly diving Trimix. The body was later recovered by the charter boat captain. He's diving the devil's mix. Well, again, early 90s. It was the devil's mix. You know, not everybody was as likely to get their hands on helium back in these days. So I I guess it was would be more acceptable to have a quote-unquote dive team partnership of one person on air and one person on Trimix than you would see today. Pretty much typically today, if you and I are partners in the water, we're probably breathing the same mix. Yeah, how do you do the deco together? <laughs> That's, That's that kind of defeats the purpose that, of having yeah. a yeah. partner, right? All right, I got uh, I got thirty minutes of deco. I got sixty five. <laughs> okay, I'll see you at the boat. Hope I don't I don't put the wrong regulator in my mouth <laughs> accidentally. Hope I don't have any the problems. Di- yeah, yeah, yeah. The diver was wearing twin, independently configured, hundred cubic foot cylinders, and an oxygen pony for decompression. Using this configuration, a diver must repeatedly switch regulators during the dive in order to balance the gas supplies. Yeah, so typically, like when I dive my twins, uh, and I know a lot of other people, you have a manifold connecting the two bottles on your back. Okay, you can isolate them if need be. You can put an isolator. Some people even have no isolator. Uh, and that's a whole other debate. But those two bottles are used at the same time. So you breathe them down simultaneously. Now, on independent twins, you breathe a little bit out of one bottle, and then you have to put that rag away and switch to the second bottle so that you don't have one bottle down with nothing and another bottle 
full. And then you get to a point, oh, if the reg goes bad on your full bottle, you've already, you've sucked down your, your one bottle. You don't, with the good reg, you're basically up a creek, even though you have a whole tank of gas. Yeah, you you would do back in these days of independent twins, you would do the 500, 500, similar to what right. they do with side mount. It's basically, exactly. basically was side mount, just back mounted side mount bottles, right? Two independent systems. Without the benefit of side mount. So basically, it's all the downside of back mounted, no benefit of side mounted, with the downside of side mount, which is you have to go back and forth between the rags. Because right, which is where, you know... Yeah, the, the two independent twins was, you know, shortly after this, pretty much disappeared for the most part. And then now yeah. when we throw a third back-mounted bottle, a pony bottle with pure 100% oxygen and another random regulator to, to grab, we can see where uh, we continue on in the story that though the diver used a distinct regulator, an O2 regulator, which was labeled in green. His primary, secondary, and oxygen regulators were banded together and mounted over his right shoulder. It is believed that he mistakenly switched to his oxygen regulator in the heat of the chase. A PPO2 of 7 to 8 Addis. Having speared his first grouper at 240 feet, 74 meters earlier in the dive he convulsed spitting the regulator out of his mouth and drowned vomit and blood were found in his mask did we really need that last little detail vomit and blood were found in the mask okay well now i've now i've got this whole case solved (laughs) (laughs) wait wait no no snot did he defecate himself as well (laughs) do i need to know this um yeah. Uh, again, I mean, there's a lot of things that we know now better than, you know, for example, the color-coded regulators don't really work at depth because let's just, you know, it's open water 101. Your colors diminish as you go deeper. You don't have that ability anymore. But Right, and then just having a, uh, a slew of regulators coming over your shoulder Very that you know you got to keep switching. Very this confusing, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's how it was back in the 90s. It yeah. was, uh, again, it was just you, you need more gas, grab more gas. You need a decompression gas, throw a bottle on. Uh, just hack it out and tough it out and do it. Don't grab the wrong one or you'll die. Yeah, it reminds me of when I, I set up my own twins and said, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go learn how to work these, these twins. <laughs> with, uh, and, if, and if, you know, the mantra for tech diving is, is uh, redundancy. I will redundant the hell out of this getup. You know, right. You, you, you got <laughs> two, I got two tanks. I got four second stages. Exactly. Eight knives, uh, six masks, couple uh, extra pair of fins I, I have on my hands. But the ridiculousness of it in reality, when you go to use it, the practicality is not there. You're unable to discern the correct rags, which rag to go to. There is such a thing as too much, you know. You keep it simple is should be the buzzword, and this definitely wasn't. Well, l- luckily, that's what we we learned you right. know, over uh, over the last thirty years fr- from these days, you know. And I, I would say actually, like this is when we were learning that actually, maybe even more appropriately, because by the mid two thousands, this was pretty figured out. 
Yeah. Hey, do you want to do one more to emphasize this color-coded regulator thing? Because there's a Key West, a Key West death. Down. I could I could go for a little uh, dive in the in, in keys? the keys. Yeah, yeah, yes, for sure. Baby. A diver mistakenly switched to his labeled and color coded oxygen regulator instead of his Nitrox thirty six at his ninety foot twenty eight meter decompression stop, following a twenty five minute exposure to sixty four meters two hundred and ten feet, conducted on a Trimix seventeen fifty. The diver seized approximately four minutes later at his 70-foot stop, 21-meter stop, during the mix training dive and spit his regulator out of his mouth. So that's pretty darn quick, I guess. You know, I guess it's maybe it's it's not quick. Maybe that he should have seized quicker. It's almost four addas of PO2. Yeah. Um, yeah, breathing at a 4.0 rough. It's not a seven or eight like the last guy, but it's it's still pretty hefty. A second diver was on the scene in seconds and unable to reinsert the regulator and having a substantial decompression obligation, inflated the diver's BCD and sent him to the surface. The diver was picked up immediately by the surface support crew and displayed faint, irregular breathing. He was cut out of his equipment, lifted on the boat, and placed on oxygen when he became semi-conscious. Emergency evacuation procedures were initiated, and the boat left to rendezvous with an ambulance dockside about 50 minutes away. The diver regained full consciousness within about 15 minutes and did not exhibit DCI symptoms. He was evacuated from the hospital to a chamber within an hour and a half, still not exhibiting symptoms. He was treated with a table six, the diver has little memory of the events following his 90-foot stop until regaining consciousness at the surface. Apparently, his only warning was a vague feeling that something was wrong after switching to O2. Hmm. <laughs> something doesn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't missed. remember anything after thinking something doesn't feel right. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm on a boat. On the way in, you guys are staring at me. Hmm. Wow, I mean, that's a miracle story that he survived. Oh, oh yeah, big time. Thankfully, he had a buddy. Well, yeah, luckily he had a, a buddy in the water. But, I mean, even even like the being launched to the surface for the surface crew to right. take care of him, like, I read that thinking, <laughs> that sounds like a... Uh, Pick up the body kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Thankfully, he made it through. That's uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what to take out of that that we haven't already covered. But it's, um, yeah, you know, I it's the one thing I always uh, worry about going over these old accidents is, it's, again, it's really easy to, to just criticize what they were doing with the, the hindsight we have right now, knowing you know, the things that, the real root cause of these incidents, so. Let's, um, let, let's try, let's do this Honduras one, we'll, then we'll call it a wrap. You good with that? So, yeah, let's hit this Honduras one, which is uh, just a complete breakdown. Um, but, but it's also something that um, I think people 
kind of get themselves into from time to time of being down in the warm water on these deep walls and they get this feeling that they can do these dives beyond their abilities um, because they've got some experience. They, they uh, you know, here we got a, a couple of instructors, uh, you know, recreational instructors who are going to go make a, a, a wild, wild deep dive. You know, again, early 90s, so it was a little bit of that machismo-driven yeah. dive. Plus, I'm sure they weren't educated to the full consequences of doing these dives and, and things going wrong, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just a uh, little narcosis. It's, it's a little narcosis. I'm cool <laughs> with that. Yeah, and it's almost like for a long time, it, that was almost the fun of it. Oh, yeah, to see how, well, it was a machismo, um, you know, how much how much can you get narked? You know, it's kind of like how much can you drink kind of thing. Uh, people would, you know, purposely be going as deep as they could to get narked and, and come back and go, it was nothing. A uh, little bit, it was, it was nothing. I like it. Whatever. What was that one? What was that line you did before? I could I could count all the way to potato. <laughs> exactly. I can count all the way to potato. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, Honduras, 1993. A novice deep diver lost consciousness and drowned during a deep air wall dive beyond 300 feet, 92 meters. Beyond 300 feet. <laughs> yeah the diver and his two partners all experienced recreational instructors so they're above were, dive masters is what you're saying they're they are above dive masters so right there i don't, how could anything go wrong well they probably had <laughs> their uh dive master flunkies carry their tanks <laughs> to the water for them their dive, dive jester uh apprentice dive jesters I'm going to take some flack for calling them dive jesters, aren't I? I'm like, whatever. Uh, oh, gonna, the emails, I, yeah. I can, they're rolling in right now. Show me the respect that my rank and title deserves. Hey, listen, you, uh, you too are a dive master, my man. Don't yeah. be getting too... Uh, Was. Too, uh, Wow! I, no, once, once you're a dive master, you're always once, a dive master. Once a dive master, always. You a can't diver. become that's, that's a, the way it goes. An ex dive master, you're a former dive master. Yes. Yeah. Once a dive master, always a dive master. Even when you become an instructor, you still uh, you still perform those dive master duties. Uh, you 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 should wear that uh, that badge proudly. Well, you know, I don't I don't put too much distinction between the two, but enough said. I don't. I'm digging my hole deeper. You are yeah. too. Man. No, keep going. Keep, this is gonna be fun. Keep going. Let's see how. Let's see how deep this hole can get. Out in front of my house with pitchforks and torches, with split fins and snorkels, banging at my door. <laughs> oh, where are we at? Uh, the diverners, two partners, all experienced recreational diving instructors, were attending a combination charter and a week-long seminar on advanced diving, and had been conducting progressively deeper air dives between 61 and 91 meters, uh, between 200 and 300 feet during the week. Though the boat apparently had a, hey, you're on your own policy. <laughs> you. 
You're on your own. You too, you're on. <laughs> yeah. Like a that. mixed gas instructor on the cruise made a deep air dive with the team to about 250 feet to check them out and give them pointers on their technique. He reported that based on their skills, he discouraged them from going deeper. What do you, what do you think that means? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a chance to see you guys in the water. And um, basically, where I think you're at, you need, you need to just sell your gear. You need... <laughs> How many times have we heard Listen, this stuff? I've had a uh, I've had a chance to see you in the water, and uh, basically, uh, you suck. <laughs> You're not good. I uh, I mean, this is where I love, especially like Andrew. I mean, I don't want to. I didn't want to name names, but the the caliber and level of instruction I've received from some of these divers, the greatest part of the instruction is the honesty and the where you learn the humility and. To see that where you really are in the diving hierarchy, where you are skill level, to get an honest opinion, and uh, I, I, when I talk about this thing, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is when a certain instructor we knew went to teach a class, got in the water with them, and they were so bad, they were they were first of all they talked themselves up, they were great to him in talking, and he got in the water, they were so bad. He just left. He le- he left, got out of the water, and said, "You guys don't want to learn scuba diving." <laughs> <laughs> so I think about that. I'm like, to me, there's no bigger gift you can get than an honest, an honest to God account of where you're at, of an opinion, you know, from a person, from a diver that's truly good, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Andrew was definitely the the master at it, especially in yes. the early days of of being the first one to really not just like tell you you sucked but be actually be able to show, show you, you. And, and prove it right to yourself yes. how 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 far you had to go to get to a level of where you right. thought you were right you he was a master at that and it was great and it was it was it was awesome to watch and it it is nice when to learn humility is a huge uh, to me it's a huge safety factor it's a huge part of your character that it can increase your safety uh, versus the opposite, which is probably what we're seeing right here. Yeah. Three wrecked instructors who obviously don't have much humil- humility because they're about to go down to 300 feet on air with little to no experience and obviously not the skills. After, after being told, yeah, you guys are a mess and don't have any business doing this. Right. The captain was concerned as well. In fact, a fourth diver associated with the team was reportedly asked not to dive deep or his trip would be curtailed. <laughs> listen, listen, those three assholes are bad enough. If you <laughs> go down deep, we're taking you home. This trip will be this trip will be curtailed. The divers were utilizing dual independently rigged 80 cubic foot 11 uh, 11 liter cylinders and decompressing on air because oxygen was apparently not available. So, uh, I, mean, I mean, not unheard of in those times of doing deep air dives and, and using only air as a decompression, you know, back gas decompression. But this goes a little bit beyond a, a deep air dive. I mean, they're doing a 300-foot dive. Yeah, and independent twins, I, I hesitate to even 
guess how much experience they have on with twins, much less independent twins. The, None. The proper use None. of them. They're, they're, right. they're doing it for the first time <laughs> during their advanced diving <laughs> seminar that they're doing. So, so I guess their mindset is we just need the gas and a way to deliver it to us at depth, and we're good. And I think that a lot of people that don't dive believe that that's all scuba diving is, breathing underwater. That's all Correct. it is. Yep. Well, there's nothing more to it. Well, as we're about to find out, there is. that's not the case. <laughs> the dive was planned for five minutes at 300 feet. Using the U.S. Navy's exceptional exposure tables with backup tables to 15 minutes. And I'm looking at those tables right now. And a 300-foot dive for five minutes isn't, isn't much decompression to do. Okay. Total decompression time of about 16 minutes. 15 minutes is going to give you 62 minutes of decompression to do. On air, eh? On air. All air decompression. Now, now keep in mind, that, I mean, that's, that's for a 19-year-old fit-as-hell U.S. Navy diver. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit right, different. To, to just barely clean the mathematical table. Right. Well, these guys are recreational instructors, so they're probably pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The diver was carrying a video camera to film the team's escapades and was the only member of the team with a decompression tool, a computer, (gasps) for for depths beyond 91 meters or 300 feet. Groovy. So we got one, one computer amongst... The gang, everybody else has got tables written out for 300 feet. They probably have a five-minute, a 10-minute, and a 15-minute. You're hoping. Uh, deco schedule, which is what, you know, uh, sounds like what their plan was for. So according to one member of the team, the group overstayed their planned bottom time by a minute or so. Could be a minute. <laughs> Could be 30. <laughs> I don't know. And then, to top it off, the diver had one partner who began to drift further down the wall beyond 300 feet. Hmm. Hmm. 300 feet is quite the amount of depth. Yes. Right? We're, uh, what, 10, over 10 addas? We're at 10 addas, and we're on air, so we're at a 2.0 plus PPO2. We're breathing 10 times our surface consumption rate, so... Yeah, so the average surface consumption for most divers? Well, let's just, you know, let's say they're working a little, you know, they're probably not going to be that great. I mean, a good technical diver is breathing at 0.5.6, uh, resting for the most part. I mean, some can get a little better. Uh, I always figure at a 0.75 for my bottom. For a, a working part of your dive? Right, and then my yeah, deco so. is at 0.5.6-ish. Um, let's give these guys a one. Because uh, it doesn't th- sound like they're very. They're not good. <laughs> Just put it that way. Uh, yeah. According to what the uh, the mix instructor expert from earlier said, <laughs> they're not. Uh, you guys have no business being here, right? So you I know mean, that we have tennis courts at the resort. <laughs> you could uh, you could be doing. Exactly. So, so yeah. So uh, so if they stay an extra five minutes, it's extra fifty cubic feet at least, at least, of gas. So they've used yeah. fifty. They got they're using another fifty. 
and who else knows who knows what else is going on as far as so you are are they breathing one tank down and going to the other are they doing it properly or? well guess what <laughs> it's funny <laughs> having <I mentioned> emptied <laughs> <laughs> having emptied his first cylinder unexpectedly quote unquote oops out of nowhere unexpectedly my tank was empty the divers did not switch regulators during the dive to balance their gas supply. And feeling that the dive was starting to go it's, wrong. Oh, it's starting to go, to go wrong. wrong. It started to go wrong at the pub the night before. We're like, hey, I got an idea. It started Are you daring the, me? The day before where the instructor said, you guys have no business going on that dive. It started the, with the fact that they even planned on doing this dive. Uh, so... Because uh, because he felt that it was starting to go wrong, let's go back to that. The shallow member of the team executed a quote unquote rocket ascent of a hundred <laughs> feet per minute or more. Well, it's in the training manual. If it, it, yes, last resort. TGDP <laughs> tanks empty, <laughs> gas gone, gone, defog. P. P and go, man. Deploy go. rockets. Deploy rockets. We're going home. <laughs> the eagle has left the building. <laughs> uh, yes, he had learned. He had learned in his course to quote unquote get out of the danger zone and ascended to his first stop. He's like uh, Mav and Goose. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to use the fifteen-minute table. That's going to put his first ascent. Or his first stop at 50 feet, if you're using that exceptional exposure table right. from the U.S. Navy. So from somewhere below 300, because they, they blew it. Yeah. But, you know, so 300 feet even. Right to 50. He's going to make a 250-foot ascent. Rocket ascent. Rocket it's, ascent. It, that's the uh, technical term. <laughs> right, ascent. right, right. Now... I've seen people make rocket ascents from 50 feet yes. and try to pull off their safety stop <laughs> at 15. It doesn't generally go well. Rocketing and controlling, rarely do they go together in the same sentence. Apparently, moments later, the first diver lost consciousness somewhere around... 99 to 107 meters, or 325 to 350 feet. His partner began to haul him up using his BCD for added buoyancy when one of his single cylinders also ran out of gas. He lost his grip on the unconscious diver while switching regulators and due to the buoyancy differences, was separated from the diver. Short on gas, he ascended and survived. The diver's body was never recovered off of the wall. So we'll never get his side of the story. No, just just a train wreck of of crashing cars of, of problems, right? Well, that, if only really someone all... had told them. If only someone had said, hey, you guys might want to do that dive. If only they had a voice of reason and experience saying, hey, hey, guys. I don't know. I think of the instructor. I hate to interrupt you there, James, but I, I'm thinking of the instructor that told him, hey, what the fuck, guys? What are you doing? Um, and, you know, 
at the pub that night because that's all that people are going to be talking about. And he's all he's going to be saying is, "I told him, I told him, I tried to tell I told, him." Told yeah, yeah. I told me he had no business doing that dive. But uh, in, instead, you know, we're 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 mourning mourning the loss of a of a fellow diver. That's a sad uh, sad way to end out your week in Honduras. True. It's a sad way to hand out your week pretty much anywhere. I don't know, Honduras. I wouldn't like to do that anywhere. Well, hey, everybody. We hope you had a fun time on the Great Dive Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing you another happy episode from uh, your buddies at DGDV. These these incidents seem to kind of get worse and worse as we went down them in the sense That's why we're stopping here. You want to read any more? Do it yourself. we uh, we posted a link again. It's the examining early technical um, examining early technical diving deaths, the Aquacore incident reports, nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety six. Um, I, I I shudder to to use the word they're fun to read, but right they're definitely they're interesting. very informative. Right. Um, it, it's a way to look. At, I mean, they're well detailed reports with the the best uh, amount of information that was available at the time to really see. In some ways, you know, how when you see the same issues over and over and over again, you start to see where a lot of the the uh, the guiding principles that so many technical divers use today, where it came from of, of why certain things are just not done anymore. Oh, yeah. Uh, they it's nice to see that they did implement changes, although it was a struggle. It was a struggle. I mean, you remember those early days of the technical diving growth period. And it was very difficult to argue against the machismo method of, of diving, which is, you know, bore through it. Deep air is fine. Uh, just bring as much gas as you can and redundant regulators and a really, really good computer or three, and you're good. You're good to go. But I, as I, we read through all of these incidents... There isn't one in there that is not preventable from, you know, this thing. Can you think of an, a diving accident that is not preventable? I'm thinking through that all of these were preventable. And, and with today's viewpoint, can, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but... Well, that's the thing is, is with, with hindsight, everything was preventable. But you know, with, with hindsight, you know, World War II was preventable. Right, right. But I look at it and I, I look at this and go, most of the stuff that we know that we see going wrong in these dives, they already knew about back then, too. They knew about CO2. They knew deep air was bad. They knew, you know, isolated twins were, were rough. Uh, they had a lot of downside. They knew, you know, recreational divers going deep, et cetera. They knew all this stuff was bad. They knew how easy it is to get tangled up in lines. They knew all of this. Um, I, I try to think of, you know, the only incident that comes to my mind that is, like, totally unpreventable It was, like, the Parker Turner incident where you have a cave-in in a cave, okay? Not really preventable. Couldn't foresee it. It was a freak accident. Whereas right, right. I don't look at these as yeah, freak yeah, accidents. None of these, yeah, yeah, none of these accidents were like couldn't have seen that coming. A, a mechanical yeah. failure right. that led to a, a loss of gas. It was um, ignorance and a lack of awareness that led to the running out of gas. Right. It's, right. 
independent twins forgetting I got to change left to right uh, and, and sucking a bottle down because I'm too deep. I'm overwhelmed with what's going on. So much is happening. Gas is going down so right. so fast. Usually, you know, when I'm in 80 feet of water, I don't have to switch bottles for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Now, 10 minutes goes by and I've sucked it completely empty. Yeah. I should have been sw- Well, and that's the thing. Uh, independent twins at 300 feet, especially 80s, you're going to be switching regs like every 45 seconds. Uh, what the hell? How, how does this work? Uh, just a lot of things. I'd like to say, oh, they didn't know any better. But I've, I'm really having a tough time saying that with most all of these. I think they did know better, but they said, it won't happen to me. I'm, I'm too tough. Well, that that was it, right? It was uh, it, we we always go back to that is the, the early days, those early cowboy days of technical diving. It was a machismo thing. It was a toughness thing. It took a lot of fatalities. It took a, a lot of years, a, a mm-hmm. lot of decades actually, to uh, to get to the point where the community as a whole realized, no, there is a technique thing there that is, we need yeah. to have before we even get into this yeah skills and technique will get you out of these these incidents way more yeah, than and, and equipment and if you're having a difficult time coming up clean keeping a team together staying organized perfectly pulling off an ascent on a dive from 100 feet of water yeah you don't need 2 or 300 <laughs> anytime soon Right, and a, and a toxic diver that you're trying to bring up. Yeah, um, yeah, boy, that's just that's just more thrown on, no doubt about it. Yeah, so I don't know. I again, I, I'm, you know, I think a little bit of humility in every single one of these cases would have went a long way. Well, there you go. That, that's it. And um, I think hopefully our trying to throw a couple uh, bits of humor into it. Uh, not in order to poke fun and make fun of any, anybody, just to just to highlight how far we've come in this world of diving. In just, uh, yeah, 10 years, in 20 years. Of, yeah. yeah, a couple decades. Well, yeah. hey, that was a great dive. That was a pretty good dive. For, for us, I, uh, I had a great time. We I, made I, it I, home, last three episodes. <laughs> the the Unfortunately, uh, you know, not so great of dives for a lot of the people involved. But I think for the community as whole, looking back on this, I think that's why this got released, is this is good learning experiences for people to look at. Recreational divers, technical divers, really anybody can can read these early incidents and walk away with some knowledge to, to put into their dive planning. Well, you hope it's... Again, you know, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And the same with what you learn from these accidents. Now, to just quickly look at them and go, well, he should have brought more gas or he should have had these kind of regs or not not use isolated, you know, uh, doubles. That's that's really not, I think, the, the bigger picture that you should be seeing. The bigger picture is the mindset. What caused them to approach the dive in this manner? Where did they get the train? Is it training? Is it the way they were... They look at diving and view diving. Could well, yeah, because be uh, again, yeah, every one of the, every one of these, uh, even down to uh, you know that last one at Honduras, you know, you know those guys got in the water saying, "We're going to be uh, cheersing some beers in about an hour." 
right. about you know because uh, we're doing this totally uh, smart and doing it the right way. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna have bragging rights at the pub. Bragging, yeah. But yeah, crazy stuff. Okay, let's finally sign some logbooks. Okay, Deep Air Jamesy, stop with the Deep Air. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Trimix Jamesy, keep up the safe Trimix diving. Your O2 uh, narcosis buddy, Brando. All right, well, hey, you who, Brando? <laughs> <laughs> Watch out for that black grouper. <laughs> okay, everybody, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Safe diving. Yeah, the 90s. It I comes keep, out to be. I keep thinking the 90s are like 10 or 20 years ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> 30. <laughs> <laughs>